Good morning. Good each of you this morning. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I'm thankful that we can be gathered around the Word here this morning, and um, again, thankful for a beautiful morning, and uh, it's, it's good to be together. As I sat there, I had a number of scriptures that come to my mind, and uh, as I sat there, I thought, maybe I ought to just open for our first reading and, and see, and then go from there. So, I'll do that here this morning. We think of Easter morning, and we think of the expectation that we come and we would consider the, the resurrection of our Lord. And I'd like to do that, with the Lord's help. Let's first read here from uh, what, where the words opened to the book of Ecclesiastes. And I have here Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And I'm just going to read one verse that stood out to me here when I opened. I'm just going to read one verse. Chapter 12, verse 8. It says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Open to hymn number 186.
Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before Thee this morning. Thankful, Father, that again we can bow before Thee. Father in heaven, that Thou art there in heaven, high above us, who are here low upon the earth. And Father, we feel ourselves very, very small here upon this earth that we know also is very, very small. But to come be, be able to come before Thee, Father, and to be able to pray unto Thee, the One who has all power, before the One who has created all things, the One in whom holds all things in Thy hand. We feel stronger, not by our own strength, Father, by being able to come before thee. For we know when we are weak, then thou art strong. And we pray, Father, that here in this day, that thou would be strong here in our midst. We need thee, Father, to strengthen us. We need thee, Father, to bring our minds and our hearts, our souls and our spirits, our strength, under thy yoke. Father, that we would not resist this would be our prayer. That we would see, Father, that thou dost have a perfect plan for us and thy ways are perfect. Thy ways are good and right. And Father, what a joy it is to learn that yielding to Thee is peace and joy and is truly abundant life. Father in heaven, we just pray that today and this day that we might yield to Thee and to Thy Spirit, to Thy Word, that it would be able to speak to us, each of us here, very plainly, very clearly. Dear God, if there would be hearts that are sore, that thou would comfort. Lord, if there would be hearts here that are joyful, that thou would just even pour more joy upon that. Dear God, all that could be here in our midst, we pray that thou would look upon and somehow in thine own way help. Lord, we love thee and we thank thee. We think of thy resurrection, Lord. What vanity it would be to be able to, to come here to church today and to go through these motions if thou were not alive. But we believe that thou art alive, Lord, and that even at this moment thou dost hear us. And so we thank thee for this, Lord. And as we would study, Lord, here in thy word now, see what... What thy word does say, we pray that thy spirit would be sent here, who is alive and who is living. And that he would in very real, tangible ways come and speak to us. Very plainly, very clearly, 
and that there would be no other spirit here, Lord, besides him, that all else would be driven out, and that this might be a place of bright light. Dear God, bring us closer unto thee. Pray, Lord, that thou would give me words and give me thoughts, and do not let them be my own. But rather, Lord, may they be thine. Father, we love thee and we thank thee. Lord, when we see this beautiful creation and the, the spring of life coming back, dear God, our hearts cannot express what we feel. But we trust, Father, that it has been breathed into our souls and our spirits, even by thee, the living God. And we thank thee for this. So come now into our midst, we pray, Father. Send thy Holy Spirit and his might and his power. Be here in our presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It might seem like a little strange verse to read on Easter morning. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. That seems a little odd, doesn't it? It seems a little strange that we would preach from a verse like that. I certainly wasn't planning to preach from a verse like that, necessarily, that I'd open up to that. And, but vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And as I think about that just a little bit, maybe we, can just, maybe we can just meditate on that just for just maybe a few brief moments, long enough maybe to hopefully catch maybe something that the Lord would want to say to us. But here was a man, Solomon who undoubtedly had more wisdom than any other man that had ever lived. Meekest, Moses was the meekest of all men that ever lived, but Solomon would seem would have been the wisest. And Solomon did some strange things. He had more wealth than he knew what to do with. He had more ability than he knew what to do with. He was gifted, he was talented, he was capable. There was really no limitations for what Solomon had. And Solomon set his heart out, he set out to understand things. And in a, and in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, Solomon was a very modern man. And what I mean by that, modern man, Solomon was, was very much like men today. Very, very similar, really. If we look here in the book of Ecclesiastes, we find that Solomon wasn't too different than what we see all around us today, in the culture all around us today. Solomon was looking to find things out, and so he went a lot of different directions. We could go there in chapter 1, chapter 2, we could, we could read through here. In verse 3, it seems like a funny thing, doesn't it? 
I'll, I'll read verse 1 of chapter 2. I said in my heart, go to now, I'll prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. Enjoy pleasure. We see men today trying to find the purpose of life. They're trying to find some meaning, some value, some, some expression. As we talked even yesterday, they're trying to find what's the point of all this? What's the point of this life? Why am I here? Is it by mistake? Is it by chance? Has it been some ginormous accident that somehow I'm just here and there's, there's no end, there's no purpose, there's no meaning to it? When I die, I'll simply vanish and vapor. I'll just, I'll be gone. I'm no longer. And so many modern people today, and I mean by modern, those around us, so many trying to find the purpose of life look to pleasure, don't they? Solomon was a very modern man in that. Solomon went and he said, I will enjoy, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. And we see all around us men trying to find some meaning to life by trying to gather up all the happiness they possibly can and all of the different ways that they try to find it. They seek it in so many different ways, through relationships, maybe through making money, maybe through the use of drugs, maybe through the use of alcohol, maybe through the use of even, maybe through the use of religion. Trying to find the meaning of life, trying to find the purpose of life, trying to find some order to the chaos. And after the bottle's empty, so to speak, and after the relationship is broken up, and after the business fails, and after the finances leave, and after all that can be attained by the heart's desires, what does he say? Behold, this also is vanity. It's vanity. There's no lasting satisfaction in the pleasures that can be found in ungodly relationships or in the pleasure of a bottle or in the pleasure of a trip, so to speak. It's empty. It's void. It's vanity. He says in verse 3, I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine. And we see that all around us. Men trying to drown their sorrows, drown their cares, try to find happiness in, in the moment, in those pleasures. And we really see a world that's wandering and lost, finding no meaning, no purpose, nothing fulfilling, nothing satisfying, all around us. Solomon eventually got to the point, we could go to chapter 4. Just want to read verse 2. Wherefore I praised the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. What a horribly desperate situation. What a desperate situation. So many men are in today where they see that death would be a better option than continuing to live. The hopelessness, the despair that is all around in the life of modern man. We could call him postmodern man. We could call him 
all kinds of things. But this man of today that has no answers, what is truth? Where will they find it? How will they know? Is there such a thing as truth? They seem to look, and they don't find, and they come to the conclusion, as we talked yesterday, a nihilistic position, a nihilistic place, where they see it as the best option is simply to die. A place of utter despair and hopelessness, because why does any of it matter? If it's merely a mistake, if it's merely an accident that we even happen to be here, it just happened by chance, a big bang occurred, and through evolutionary processes, we find ourselves where we're at today. And nobody knows anything better than anybody else. What really is the point? What really is the point? If that would be the case. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. All is vanity. It's what he came to as the conclusion as he sought to find the meaning of life as he sought to find the purpose for living, as he sought to find some value that could make life worth living, he came to the conclusion, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If you would, turn with me to chapter comes to my mind here. It's on my heart. Let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if we look at it in that context of what we just said, there is only one answer for fallen humanity today. There is only one answer for those who are in that despair, who are looking for pleasure, who are looking for meaning, who are looking for value, who are looking for some, something to fill the emptiness within them, something to fill the void that is within them, something to lessen the pain, something to quiet the the noise, there's only one place. And that's what makes a day like thinking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ so precious to those of us who have found that answer. We were in that place. Every one of us here who have sought our Lord were in that place of desperation. I can remember so clearly how it felt. I can remember so, so clearly how it felt to be at that place of absolute poverty and misery and despair and thinking there has got to be more than to life than this. There's got to be something better than this filth that I am living in. I could have spent the rest of my life looking for it and never having found it if I would have looked except for one and one person and one man. And that is in Christ Jesus that we'll read about here in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. 
by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. You see, the emptiness that those men and those women feel today is the separation that they feel from God because of their sin. Because there is something that is absolutely sin. God has ordained it. God has declared it that there are things that we can do in our lives that will separate us from the almighty God and the almighty creator that are not right. They are not pure. They are unclean. And if we do them, we will be separated from him. And all of us in this room have been born into that state where we, in our, in our, in our youth, in our childhood, we began to do things. We were corrupted from the very beginning because we were born in Adam. And being born in Adam, in the likeness of Adam, who that original, that first man who sinned by taking the fruit from his woman, from his wife, and he committed that transgression, and sin came upon all men. And because of that transgression, all men born in the flesh have been separated from God. And if all men on the face of the earth, those that are going to the bottle, those that are going to the drugs, those that are going to the relationships, those that are going into the finances, into the wealth, into the prosperity, those that are trying to find purpose and meaning to life and some kind of value outside of Jesus Christ will never find it because it is their sin. It is their sin that is separating them from the source of all life. The things that they have done the things that they have committed, the things that bother them, that they know are wrong. God has given every man a conscience, whether they've ever read this Bible or not. They know in their minds, they can think back on those times, I know that that was not right. It bothers me. I don't know where it says it in the Bible. I don't know what, what, what verse it is. I couldn't find it for you there, but I know that there was a day and a time where I did this and it bothers me and it troubles me and there's something broken in me. And there's no bottle big enough to take that away. There's no bottle that can drown that thing away. There's no drug that can get you out of your mind far enough that will get you far enough away from that transgression. There's a separation from God. There's a separation from God. But Christ has died for our sins. Christ paid that price. Christ is that answer. Christ shed his blood because that was the atonement. That was the cost. That's what it was going to take to get rid of those sins. There was no other way to get that uncleanness out of our heart. There was no way to get that uncleanness out of our life except by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that would wash over us by faith. When we believe upon him and we turn from our sin and we repent of it, we feel that sorrow and we say, I wish I would have never done that. Oh God, forgive me. I'm sorry for that sin. And we go and we confess it before man and we say, I've done this. I am a sinner. And that blood, the, the precious blood of Christ that was shed by faith is able to take those sins away. And that precious blood of Christ was poured out there on that cross. It says here, and that he was buried. And he was buried. That's a real fact in history. It's a real 
true fact of history that there was a man whose name was Jesus of Nazareth, born truly of a fact of a virgin. It's not make-believe. It's not mystical. It's not our interpretation. It is an absolute fact that there was a man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was born of a virgin and who lived a life that was perfect. He lived a perfect life. And no man had ever done that before. No man had ever done that before. But here was the man who had lived that perfect life. And now he's buried. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen. This isn't make-believe. He was actually seen of other men. And that he was seen of Cephas. Peter saw him, and then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Now, let's pay close attention to this next part. Solomon was looking for answers. Solomon was looking for answers. Solomon was trying to find in his experiences something satisfying that could not be found by the things of this world. He had the resources. He had the money to do it. He could build and build and build and build. You and I can't do that today. If we wanted to try to set out and find and do all that Solomon, we couldn't possibly afford it. But here was a man that could do it. He built to his heart's content. There was nothing he withheld from himself. He had peacocks. He had all kinds. He had everything he could want. And it was empty. Now, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. Solomon said, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Say at the preacher. But now listen, here is something that is not vain. 
Here is something that has purpose. Here is the great meaning of life. Here is the answer that men who are searching, men who are wondering, men who have lost themselves, men who have no hope, men who are in despair, men who wonder what's this all about, men who are praising the dead, they think it'd be better to die than to continue in this pain. Why go through another rainstorm? Why go through another broken relationship? Why go through a cold? Why go through a sickness? Why go through the suffering and the pain if it doesn't matter at the end of it all? Why not end it? Why not put an end to it? There is a hope. But there is a way out. But there is an escape. There is something, there is a person, there is a meaningful relationship that will actually deliver us and give us the meaning and the purpose to life that we were intended for. But let's go on. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, he's saying. He's saying if... There's not a resurrection. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. It's vain for us to be here today. It would be utterly pointless. It's so clear to us when we look at an idol, a dead piece of wood, and we look at these men, these Buddhists, these Hindus, they, they bow before a dead piece of wood, maybe garnished up with some decorations and some jewelry, and there he sits, unable to communicate, unable to, they, but, but they're fine, trying to find some meaning to the senselessness of it all. They never get an answer. They never hear anything back. The idol never moves. And you and I would be no different gathered here together today, singing our songs, reading this word, if it would be that Jesus Christ was still in the grave. If Jesus Christ was still in the tomb, this would be utterly pointless for us. We'd, we might as well go home. Forget it all. We might as well join those that begin to smash and tear down and break down the society and try to smash it all because there's no reason behind any of it. And Paul is saying that here. He's saying, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God if this isn't the case. Because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. There's vanity. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then you're still in vain. Vanity of vanities, there's no hope if Christ be not risen. You're yet in your sins. You're yet in your sins if Christ is not raised from the dead. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. All those that died in Christ, that had hope in Christ, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then they died like all the rest. They died like the dogs, they died like the cats, they died like the... The beasts of the field, there's no point. There's no purpose. They just fall asleep. I've told the story before. I worked for a man, and it comes back to me. I worked for a man, and he was an ungodly man, unquestionably an ungodly man. He lived for himself. He saw every pleasure he could possibly find. He had a, a fair amount of resources, money available to live how he wanted to live. He had retired from a successful career, and he was happy. He thought. And I asked him one day, I said, after he was telling me some of his tales, I said, weren't you afraid to die? Aren't you afraid to die? He says, what's death? It's just falling asleep. And that's where a lot of people are at today. But if the account be true, and we believe it is, 
then it doesn't end at the grave. It doesn't end at closing our eyes and sleep and being laid down into the earth, closing up a pointless existence into nothing. That's not how it is. But when we close our eyes in death, we will awake to a fine, a very real eternity. We will awake to find a very real encounter that if we have not had in this life, we will certainly have in the life to come, where we will come before our almighty God and our almighty creator who has created you and I and who so graciously has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might be with him in the glories of heaven for life eternal. There is a way made. But Paul says here in verse 19, he says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, and this is what struck me there with that vanity of vanities. wasn't planning on reading that verse. But if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. I could go on here and read, and we may still. But why are we so thankful for a day like today? It is because we were once miserable in our sin. We were once miserable in our pursuit of trying to find some meaning to life. We were once miserable and going our own way, doing our own thing. We remember what it was like to go to bed at night feeling so empty, so barren, so dead. And the reason that we rejoice in a day like today is because for those of us who have repented of our sins and for those of us who, we had to do some things different then. When we saw that it was our sins, the reason that we felt so miserable inside ourselves, when we saw finally what it was that was making us feel that way, it was our sin. It was our sin that was separating us from a holy God. And that we were broken off in our relationship with him. And when we saw that, we repented of that. We confessed our sins. And we had to do some things that were different than at that point. We had to go back and where we stole from people, we had to go restore that. 
We didn't need the Bible necessarily to tell us that stealing was wrong. God had given us a conscience to tell us that stealing was wrong. And we had to go back and we had to say, I'm sorry, I stole this money from you. I remember smashing a mailbox by accident. It was a total accident. I couldn't, I couldn't forget it. I knew it was wrong. It was a total accident. I didn't mean to smash. It just so happened to be it was my English teacher's mailbox. And I wasn't in the best graces in her sight anyhow. And I was nervous to go back to her and tell her I smashed her mailbox with my car. And it was just easier for me not to go back to her at that time. I didn't want her to yell at me. I didn't want her to get upset with me, so I just thought, I'm not going to say anything. I couldn't let that go. There was something, when I started repenting, I knew. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, thou shalt not smash a mailbox. But I knew that I had smashed this, my, my English teacher's mailbox by accident, and I needed to go back to her, and I needed to tell her, I'm sorry. I didn't do it with a baseball bat. I didn't do it with a pumpkin. I didn't do it with any, I just, it was just an accident. I didn't see I backed into it. But I needed to go back, and I needed to make that right. She received that really well. She didn't get upset at me. And as we worked through that, as we worked through that repentance, and as we went back and we started making those things right, and it was hard. It was hard to go back and apologize. It was hard to go back and say, I'm sorry, I, I, I did this to you. I said this to you. I had to go back for a lot of things. I really did. There was a lot of people that I had to go back to and say, I'm sorry. But as we did that, as I did that, you know, that relationship back with God began to be restored. And all those things I was seeking pleasure in and trying to find fulfillment in, I actually found out that the one that I was finding the fulfillment in and the meaning and the purpose and the life abundant was in this relationship with the one that I was becoming connected back to again. He was forgiving me of my sin. He was restoring me back to, in relation to him. And I was at peace with him then again finally. For many of us, that led them to baptism. And that baptism, that burial of that old man of sin, that disgusting old man that had lived in sin, that had done these terrible things, we buried him there in the baptismal waters. And that man is buried there in those baptismal waters. And we do, we believe that it's there at that point that by faith, the blood of Christ is applied and that we can be washed from all the defilement, from all the uncleanness, from all the dirty feelings, from all the dirty thoughts, from all the dirty things that we had done. There could be a second chance given to us. I think so many people stay in their sin. They think, what's the hope for me? I can't, what, what, what could there, how could I ever be any better? How could I ever be any different? What could I ever do? I've, I've, I've went too far. And to remember what that feeling was to be washed, to be washed by that water and by that blood of those baptismal waters, to have our sin washed away, 
and removed from us, as it says, as far as the east is from the west, where God doesn't remember it anymore. God doesn't remember it anymore. God takes it away and buries it. But then as we read right here, we're resurrected. We could go to Romans 6, and like as Christ was buried, so are we buried with him in baptism. And like Christ was raised from the dead, so are we raised then out of those baptismal waters in the likeness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a new man with a new beginning. And we've found the meaning, and we've found the purpose, and we've found what life is actually, was always meant to be about. In the meaningful, real relationship with Jesus Christ, of being restored back to him, being raised up in his image, and now being given the power, unlike what we had before, we were, we were born in Adam, we were born in Adam and we didn't have the power to overcome sin. But now being born in Christ, being resurrected in Christ, that sin that once was separating us from God, we have now been saved from that sin. We've been delivered from that sin. We've been risen anew as a new man, as a new creature, been given a new heart. And the things that we once loved to do, we absolutely love to do it because like Solomon, for a time, he found some measure of satisfaction in that drink. He found some measure of satisfaction in that drug or in that whatever modern man is looking for. There's a, there's a period of gratification, a period of satisfaction. For maybe momentarily, the relationship is going well, but it isn't long until selfishness comes in. And it's immediately destroyed and crushed and we're left broken and bruised and bloody and defiled. And what could we do to help it? We were born in Adam, sinners. And had it not been for the power and the likeness of a man who had come and overcome all of sin and all of temptation and who had went down into the grave and come up and has now risen us up from that grave and his likeness, delivering us from sin, he gives us the power, he gives us the grace This is, really the, um, this is really the amazing thing, is that he now gives us the power and he gives us the grace to live like he lived. We don't have to go back to sin any longer. We don't have to go back into the filth of the world any longer. And that is our testimony. And that is how we declare to the world that this resurrection is absolutely positively true. How do we know? How do we know? Have I ever seen Jesus Christ? I've not. Have I ever audibly heard his voice? I have not. So how do you know? I know because there was a time when I was a sinner living in my sin, defiled, and there was nothing I could do about it. And the testimony I can give now today because of the grace and the power of Jesus Christ and his spirit living inside of me, I can testify, not by my own power, not by my own strength, not by my own anything that I have done, but I can testify by the power of God and his spirit dwelling in me that his life in me now gives me the power that I do not have to sin anymore. I do not have to be part of the world anymore. I can come out of that world and I find no satisfaction in that. And that is my testimony. That is our proclamation. And that is the power of Christ 
real and present. If it were not for that, I'd be just as miserable. If I didn't have the power to overcome sin and live a life that is different from the rest of the world out there that's trying to find it in the bottle, I would have nothing to proclaim. I would be like Solomon. I would say all is vanity. Smash it. Break it. There's no hope in it. But because I've experienced and tasted of the resurrected life of Jesus Christ living inside of me, changing my heart, changing my life, changing my desires, growing me continually. Am I there yet? Have I reached the perfect man yet? Not yet, but I am trying. God has given me the grace and the power and he's growing me step by step and he's giving me the will and the desire to do it and he's giving me the power to do it. So the things that I once loved to do, I hate to do now. There's no other explanation for it. Man cannot do that. That is the power and the grace of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The resurrection. And that is our gospel, that is the gospel message that we can offer to mankind. That if they are looking, if they're empty, if they are dead, they'll find it in one man, only in one person. There is no other source, there is no other way. It will all lead to death every single time. If we are looking for any kind of gratification, pleasure, satisfaction, hope, happiness, anything like it outside of Jesus Christ, it's utterly vain and pointless. You might as well stop. You might as well give it up. You might as well just give in. It's dead. It's pointless. It's dark. It will lead to damnation and hell. It's found in one man, the resurrected Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah that that is our hope. Are you looking today? Are you empty? Are you looking to different places? Is the job not working out quite right? The relationship not working out quite right? The dreams not really coming true? There's one man that you can go to. The comforter, the healer, the physician, the strength. One man. He says, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He is the source of those living waters. Hallelujah. That's why we gather here today. That's why we think about the resurrection. That's why it gives us power. We don't serve a dead Christ who's still hanging on a tree. We don't. So many men are serving a dead Christ, still going before a dead Christ, but we don't serve a dead Christ. We serve a Christ who is alive and able to give us power. And who does? What are you, do you have something, brother? Any brothers? Brother Zeb? Like we heard the, the answer to the question. What is this life all about? On, this, on the way in this morning here, I, I saw a sign that said, Happy Easter. How many times have we heard that this week or seen it or read it? Happy Easter, happy, happy, happy. Does a message like this make you feel happy? Does, do you get the impression that this is the... It's going to make life easy now. All i got to do is follow Christ. Give up everything. Dan made a comment to me this, this week. 
If Christ is our captain, we're in a battle. Satan knows the playbook. If he's our captain, the closer we get to him, the harder life's going to get. I hope that anybody who heard this message does not walk away and say, if I do, if I follow Christ's commandments, I'm going to be happy. Everything's going to be just roses and sweet and fluffy Easter bunnies and chocolate and Easter brunches. I couldn't help but read the last two verses in Ecclesiastics, and we've read them before. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I had to think, what a shame. If we give up 90% of our sin, 90%, 99% of the things in our life that we need to give up, and we get to judgment day, it wasn't enough. Fear God and keep all his commandments, 100%. What a shame to go through life giving up 99% of the things and life seems just like hard and we're in the battle and it's, it's not enough. It says, for God shall bring every work into judgment, everything, not part, half of them, not a few of them, Every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I once heard a statistic that on Easter Sunday, there's twice as many people in church. Twice as many. Why is that? Why are you here today? Are you going to come back next Easter? Fear God. Keep all his commandments. Every day. Every day.